On Sunday mornings right now, we're, we're unpacking our, our 2020 vision as a, as a church family, loving God, loving others. It's, it's more than, uh, it's more than our, our theme for this next year. This is our vision. This is what, what God has called each of us to. Those of us who follow Christ, those of us who belong to the kingdom, those of us who are part of this church family, this is what God has called us to, loving Him and in loving others. Everything that we do, everything that we do as a church family, every, every ministry, everything that we invest into as a church family fits into one of these two categories. And over the last couple of weeks, what we've tried to do is to, is to focus upon some of the practical application of this, and I, I don't, I don't want to get too far away from that. Practicing uh, how God desires for this to be lived out in and through us as His, as His people. But today, I want for us to consider maybe a little bit more of the why behind the vision. The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1, specifically in verse 27, he writes these words to the Colossian believers. He says, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Here's the mystery. Christ in you. Hope of glory. The Apostle Paul, God, through Paul's pen to the church then and to the church now, says, here's why I've chosen you. To be my people and to carry out my vision. I, I want for you, I've chosen you, I want for you to make me known among those who do not know me. That's in essence, whenever you think back, especially to the, to the context of the letter, as the Apostle Paul is writing to those who've accepted Christ, and in particular from a Jewish context, writing to those who have this Jewish ancestry, and then they're let in on this, this knowledge that's been hidden for generations. So much so that the Apostle Paul, time and time again, He'll say, it was just simply something that I could not fathom. That everyone could have access. Everyone could be loved by. Everyone could be a child of God. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Here's the mystery, Paul says. Christ in you. And it's a plural you. This is Christ in y'all. Paul was from Texas. Christ in you. Christ in y'all. The hope. The hope of God. The hope that's held out in the gospel. The hope of glory. Elizabeth Elliot builds upon that and she writes this. The secret the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. Now let that sink in for just a second. Elizabeth Elliot, she wrote these words some 60 years ago, and, I, and yet I think these words speak volumes to us 
today. And we could just leave it right here with this quote. We could just leave it with this, this statement from her pen. But if you know Elizabeth Elliot's story, you know that her husband was a missionary who was killed in Ecuador in 1956 by tribal people. And then you also know that after her husband was killed, that Elizabeth travels to Ecuador, converts the same people that had murdered her husband, and then later writes these words. You see, that's the secret. The secret is Christ in me. The secret is Christ in you. The secret is Christ in us. The hope of glory. Christ in us, not us, in a different set of circumstances. Now, what does that have to do, Jason, with loving God and loving others? I think it has everything to do with loving God and loving others. Because it's loving God and loving others, regardless of situation or circumstance. It's loving God and loving others right where we are. Now let's take a step further, and I want to look at two specific passages today. The first is in Matthew chapter 22, and the second is in Mark chapter 12. If you want to go ahead and turn to this first passage in Matthew chapter 22. These are our, our primary passages that I've been referring to along the way over the last several weeks as we've been focused upon this vision of loving God and loving others. But this is the first time that I've actually asked you to turn specifically to these portions of scripture. Matthew 22, I'm going to begin in verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And if you're familiar or if you look at the context, if you look at the verses leading up to verse 34, you'll see that there's been this instruction from Jesus in regard to resurrection. And it's interesting because you have you have the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection. And then the Pharisees who do believe in the resurrection. And these two individual groups that couldn't agree on something so foundational, and yet they could agree on who their common enemy was, Jesus. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the prophets, they hang on these two commandments. Not in the strictest sense of this day and time and culture. But Jesus, Jesus in this day and this time and this culture, Jesus is, Jesus is not a teacher of the law. Jesus is a rabbi. He is, he is a teacher. But you have this one who is an expert in the law of Moses. And then Jesus, who although, although he is the orchestrator of the word, Although he is the word incarnate, he's the living word, he's the word who was with God from the beginning, the orchestrator of all the law and all the prophets. 
One of the reasons why the Jewish leaders struggled with Jesus is because he was not at all the Messiah that they were looking for, that they had expected. Because we so want God to fit into our own ideas and agendas. Now think back to the call of the disciples. Think about whenever Jesus calls the disciples and he, he says to them, put out into deeper water. Cast your nets on the other side. And as he says, all of that, even after they come up empty all night long. You almost expect Peter, whenever Jesus says that to, to them, whenever he says, go ahead and put your nets out one more time. After you've been fishing all night long, haven't caught anything, and they've come back to the shore, they've washed their nets, they're ready to go home for a nice long nap. And Jesus says, set out one more time. And cast your nets on the other side. You almost expect the Apostle Peter to say, Now Jesus, you're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. I'll leave the carpentry to you. You leave the fishing to me. But he doesn't do it, right? He obeys. He obeys and the result is more than he could have ever, ever imagined. And then back to this conversation, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And this coming from, this coming from a teacher of the law. This guy, think, think of him as a tenured theology professor from Oxford. And he's asking this question of this backwoods preacher from Bugtussle to explain to him what he's supposed to be focused upon. And verse 35 even says that he tests him with this question. But Jesus responds, love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first. This is the most important. This is the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law, all of the prophets... Hang upon these two commandments. This expert in the law who knows all the law and all the prophets. Jesus says, love God. Love others. And what that means, that all the law and all the prophets, they hinge upon these two. What it means is that nothing, nothing matters to the extent that loving God and loving others is answered that call is answered by those who would belong to him but if those who propose to belong to him do not follow these greatest commands nothing else matters all right the same event in mark with maybe a little bit more information when we read matthew's account it doesn't seem that this guy is genuine in matthew who, of course, is there as he presents this. He even talks about, he, he, he writes about how, how this man stood up to test Jesus. But look at the heart behind the conversation. Look at Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. And noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Now, just a little bit more information. It's, it's the line before, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and then strength. Hear, O Israel, the most important one is this, Jesus says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Jesus takes him, he takes the audience, he takes them back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. The, the Shema of Israel. The word Shema in Hebrew, it simply means hear. Listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, is one. If you look at the, the rest of the context there in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God, he says to his people, these commandments that I give you today, these are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you're at home. Talk about them when you're on the way, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This has been the call of Israel ever since Israel was Israel. And this teacher of the law, He's known this, he's known this his entire life. I mean, as soon as Jesus begins, he's locked in. This is the center of his identity. This is the center of his life. He's got this memorized. There's at no point in his life when this hasn't been a reality to him. Sometimes Tirsa will say to me, she'll say, explain this to me, why is it that you can quote every single line from the movie Tombstone, but you can't remember what I said to you 60 seconds ago? I'm your Huckleberry. This is something he's got memorized. He's got locked in. This is second nature to him. This is deep in his bones. And so Jesus continues. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said. Teacher, well said, teacher, teacher of the law, saying this to this rabbi from Nazareth, well said, teacher, you're right in saying that God is one, there is no other but him, but to, and to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, and then he adds a little bit of theology. Those things are more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Wow. Now this guy's quoting the prophets to Jesus. He's beginning to put together, it seems like he's beginning to put together what he's all, always known, but suddenly in this moment he's beginning to understand. And I think when I read it, especially when I read Mark 12 in conjunction with Matthew 22, I think Jesus begins to see that this guy gets it because Jesus looks to the heart. 
whether his intentions were, were genuine or not in asking the question, Jesus sees that this guy gets it. Verse 34, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far. And so here's my question for you. Do you want to know what it's all about? Do you want for the kingdom to be close? Do you want to get it? If the answer is yes, genuinely yes, then loving God and loving others, that's got to be who you are. There's no other God but God. Jesus begins in explaining this. We spent the last two weeks talking about loving others, specifically the language of, of others, loving the other, loving those who are other than we are, other to us. And you see, within this, there's this, there's this loving God part. And it's, it's, about, it's about our loving God, absolutely. It's about our loving God. But it's also about our God being loving to us. And those two truths cannot be separated from one another. We see that explained no better than in 1 John, the Apostle John, the Apostle that Jesus loves. When he writes that love comes from God, that God, that God is the source of love. He'll say that those who have been born of God, they know God. And that whoever does not love, doesn't know God. Because God is love. He'll write, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent us Jesus. So that we might live through him. He'll say this is love, not that we loved God first, but rather that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He'll say that no one's ever seen God, but if we, if we love others, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us, and so we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. Why? Because God is love it's not just our loving God it's that we serve a loving God we serve a God that loves us this is how the love of God is made complete John will say we have confidence in the day of judgment for in this world we're like Jesus how are we like Jesus when we love he'll say there's no fear in love as a matter of fact perfect love love that's perfect it's not afraid at all Perfect love casts out, drives away fear. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. It's about our loving God, yes. But it's also about our God being a loving God. We serve a loving God. The gospel of Jesus, the good news of Christ, would not be. We would be eternally lost 
We would be eternally separated, eternally doomed, eternally destined for destruction if our God were not loving. It's the basic fundamental principle of the Christian faith, which is the only true faith. That God is loving. We love because he first loved. John even assures he is love. It's who he is. God is love. God, God cannot be contrary unto himself. He is love. It's not just that God loves. He is love. Loving God. Loving others. These two commandments, there are no two greater than these. We cannot love others if we do not love God. And we do not love God if we do not love others. It may be a further question of what, is it, what does that mean? What does it mean to love God, to, to love Him? Because you might respond and say, well, I believe in God. I worship God. I fear God. I study God. I seek to honor God. I'm thankful for God. Yes, yes, yes. But do you love him? Do you love him? Which is ultimately a message of gospel, is it not? Jesus is the embodiment of God. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. Jesus is the embodiment of God. And God is love. Therefore, Jesus is the embodiment of love. It's the message of the gospel. And because God is love, he offers salvation through Christ. The gospel is the truth that God is love. That God loves. The gospel is that God will not leave us without the provision to be saved eternally and spend eternity with Him. That's a message of love. The gospel is that God stepped into the world in Jesus, chose to step into the world through Jesus and to, through the cross of Christ, through the resurrection of Christ, offer salvation to those who although are so very undeserving must never miss that they're loved. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message that resounds throughout the ages. That's the message that's presented within the pages of the Bible. That's the message that is loud and clear and the message that we each must take responsibility for and respond to. And if you've not believed in Jesus, if you've not confessed Him as Lord, if you've not responded to this message of gospel, this truth of gospel, by being baptized into Christ, you have yet to respond to the love of God poured out through the gospel of Christ. As C.S. Lewis concludes in his book, The Great Divorce, hell is locked from the inside. 
Think about that. God is patient. God is, he is patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And as, and as, long, as long as there is breath within us, there is hope. But there is no salvation outside of Jesus. Outside of the gospel of Jesus. We will not enter into eternity with God outside of the gospel of Christ. God, He reaches to us and He, re he calls us to Himself time and time again if we'll just pay attention. But there's no salvation outside of Jesus. My middle son, Jacob, is a, is a welder. And he works for a company in Dallas, but he, he goes to wherever the job site is. And so this last week, he was, he was at a job site in, in Irving, and he's making his way here to Rockwall through, through uh, afternoon traffic. And so he's utilizing uh, ways to get, him, to get him back home. Now, just a little sidebar, if you don't use Waze whenever you're, you're going someplace, you need to use Waze. Uh, Waze is the way, that's the, that's, that's the way, that's the way to go there. There might be some sort of theological implication there. Uh, an idea for another sermon at another time. So he's using ways, and he's coming through, and, and he's coming from like Irving to, to Rockwall, but Ways has some exit off the highway, and he's going through downtown Dallas. So he's coming through downtown Dallas, and he's, he's pulling up to a red light. There's all sorts of traffic. There's cars all in front of him. And he's sitting in this, this, uh, in this lane of traffic, and he looks over, and there's all the cars that are, you know, they're all stacked up uh, with the, the, the meters there on the side, right? And uh, he looks over, and he sees that a City of Dallas employee has got the boots out, and they're about to boot this, boot this car whose, whose meter has expired. And so he looks over, and he sees this guy, and the, the guy's, I mean, getting the boots out, and he's put them by one tire, and he's put them by the other tire, and he's just kind of getting everything set up. And he looks over, and he's got a console full of quarters. And so he grabs all these quarters, and he gets out of his car at this red light, and he goes over, and he just starts feeding the meter. <laughs> and he said that the, the, the city employee looks at him, and he expected him to, like, laugh it off. And he said the guy was mad. <laughs> and Jacob says to him, he goes, now that he's paid up, he's good, right? And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, he's good. And he starts packing his stuff up again, Jacob. <laughs> Jacob gets in, his, he gets in his car and he you know, continues on his, on his way home. Uh, I had a point to that. Hold on. <laughs> the, the message of Jesus is the message of God so loved. God keeps feeding the meter. But eventually time's going to Expire. And God is patient. He is patient because He loves us. But one day time's going to run out. There will come a time when time is no more. And we must each give an account to God. Now, He loved us. He loves us. That is so very clear. But do we love him in return? He loved us first. And we're called to love him 
And when we love God, the result, the result is not only salvation. We find that not only do we love Him, but we also find that when we truly love our God, who is love, we also find ourselves loving others as well. And I don't mean in some sort of internal, ethereal sort of way, the love of the Lord. I mean, we love others with a tangible, real deal, this matters, eternal sort of love. And that's kind of the reason, that's part of the reason why I wanted to start with that verse earlier out of Genesis chapter 3. Because I think this passage, verses 8 and 9 out of Genesis 3, I think it reveals to us a, a, a truth that brings all of this together. This is right after, right after the fall of mankind. The man and his wife, Adam and Eve, they hear the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day. I just love that description. It's right after the fall. It's right after, I mean, they had one job to do, right? And they just blew it. And Adam and Eve, they hear the sound of the Lord God as he is walking in the garden in the cool of day. It's just this image of everything ought to be right. It's just not right. And so they hear him and they hide from him. Of course, if you look at the verse prior to this, I think it's a verse or two prior to this, uh, right? maybe like verses 6 or 7, You've got Adam and Eve trying to figure their own way out of the mess that they're in by making themselves clothes. Try sewing together leaves and see how that works for you. And so they hide from God. They hide from the Lord God among the trees and trees in the garden. And then the Lord God calls to the man. And he asks him this question, where are you? You see, this is our nature. It's our, it's our human nature. It's, it's not our spiritual nature. It's not our God, godly nature. It's our carnal nature. We are bent toward hiding from God. God so desires that we would belong to Him, that we would be defined by Him, and that we would love Him as He loves us. But the call, the call is obedience. The call is the same as it has always been. Where are you? You see, that's the message of the gospel. The call from God, where are you? Why are you hiding? Why are you evading me? Why are you filled with shame? Where are you? As if we can hide from God. Why are you hiding? Well, I'm afraid. But you see, here's the thing. Perfect love drives out fear. And that's the beauty of the good news of Jesus. We obey the gospel of Jesus. We respond to the love of God by believing in Him. 
by confessing Christ as His Son and as our Savior. By being baptized into Christ and by living a repentant, faithful life. And if you've not responded to the gospel this morning in that way, I pray that you come forward as we stand, as Thomas leads us in song.